Welcome to Speaking For Him. It's another wonderful Friday. I'm Dan Van Zalen, and I'm here with your host, Andrew Gominson. Hello, Dan. Uh, this is Andrew, and I have kind of a different podcast plan for today. It's called Maintaining Biblical Perspective, and um, I'll get into the meat of it after Dan gives us a quote of the day. All righty. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. And that really is the goal or should be the goal of every uh, born-again believer to um, do everything to the glory of God. and Which is uh, difficult. It is difficult um, because the world tells us one thing and a lot of times – the world's way seems more attractive and can be even easier in the short term, but it doesn't necessarily tends mean to sound very nice. it's better. <laughs> so um, I just want to talk about some some different aspects of biblical truth that I think need to be addressed because certain people, when they struggle with the way someone teaches or applies the biblical truth, the tendency can be like, well, if that person taught or applied it wrong, that could mean that 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 means that the truth is wrong. Yes. And just because the truth is misapplied doesn't make the truth null and void. And so that's the theme of today's show. And the first one, and really the impetus for this podcast episode, is I survived I kissed dating goodbye. Um, and for those of you who uh, grew up in the 90s, as did I, you you may or may not have seen a book on the Christian bookstore shelves called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It was written by a homeschooled uh, graduate by the name of Joshua Harris, whose purpose in writing it was to uphold a higher standard of purity in relationships. He basically talked about how casual dating is dangerous and how when we do date, we should date with purpose when we are prepared to embark upon a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. Sadly, I think what happened and what is borne out in this documentary is the fact that a lot of people took what he said and they, they took it like a formula and said, if I do A, B, C, and D, my life will be grand. That's um, not the way relationships work. And it's not the way relationships work. And so watching this documentary, it really got me to thinking about how uh, we can we can espouse biblical truth and sometimes misapply it or be unrealistic about it, but that doesn't mean that the biblical truth is wrong. Uh, when I wrote um, my uh, when I wrote my book Men of Valor, which is an ebook on uh, Amazon, I talked about uh, relationships with purpose, but I tried to put it in terms of general principles rather than a specific formula because as we've already discussed, having a formula is not a, a guarantee of success. But my, I, my main principles uh, that, I, that I thought of for this particular important issue was dating when you are in a life position to marry because to me, uh, it's not good dating behavior when you're 12, 13 years old, um, saying I'm with this person and then often the next week or the next month you're with another person and by the time you get out of high school, you've dated, you know, six or eight or nine people. I just have a very strong conviction that that's not the way 
God wants us to do relationships. That's the way the world does relationships because the world's principle is as long as you entertain me, as long as I am enthusiastic about this, as long as I have the fuzzies, the warm fuzzies, <laughs> then this is Puppy good. love. But when the warm fuzzies are over, then I can go on to whatever else gives me the warm fuzzies. So I think there were a lot of principles in Josh Harris's book that were were solid. Um, but I do agree that he kind of, um, I, I do, I do see how people could have perceived it as like de- definitive formulas to follow, which would make it difficult. Like one person said, um, pointed out, well, what about the person that, uh, is stays single? Because when he wrote the book, he kind of talked about singleness as a season and some people, end up staying single for a long term. Well, then what do you do then? Um, and he talked about how I, I look to Paul's words, you know, he talked about, well, what, what if I, you know, cause he had a standard where he didn't kiss his wife until their wedding day. And, and there was one girl on there that, that, um, started feeling guilty cause she kissed her fiance. And so the idea being that it's not necessarily a biblical principle to wait for your kiss until your wedding day. However, I will say that I think rightly motivated, it is a good principle. Um, I think that if you're just doing it to be able to have that badge on your chest and say, look, I made it, I did it, then, <laughs> then that can be the wrong reason. But I don't think you necessarily throw out that standard just because, it, you know, just because it can be legalistic. Cause I think, yes. the, I think, cause I think the danger that I see in so many of these issues is, okay, so his formula didn't work for courtship. So no. that means I should just date however many people that I want and not have any godly standard when it comes to my interpersonal relationships. I don't think that's what God calls us to. Uh, could you read the verse right under there? Sure. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. All right. So basically, to end this section, just think about it in this way. God wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? And so if we look at our interpersonal relationships in that lens, I think it still should raise us to a high standard. We should not be saying to ourselves, as we so often do, how close can I get to the world without being worldly? Yes. Because that also, tends though, to be the lens through which we look. Also though, um, I think I should, I think I should put this in. Um, you don't need to marry the first person you date. Oh, absolutely. And that, that, that definitely was one of those, uh, things that was addressed in there because it was kind of this idea that yeah, you know, the first person that you have major interest in, it, it should be the one that you marry because you just can turn, you know, it's kind of this idea that you can just turn off that you're interested in someone. And that's definitely that's something exactly that I realized as a high schooler was basically impossible, even though it was a popular philosophy of the day. Yes. So, well, you know. The whole idea behind courtship is to find out whether or not you two could go the distance. 
And if you can't, then there's no shame of separating and remaining friends. But, you know, it's not something that, you know, like the speed dating sites or let's just hook up for the weekend or whatever. That's not dating. Absolutely. I agree with you. The next section I want to talk about is created to need a help me. And the reason I bring this up is because there was a book called Created to Be His Help Me, which was written by a, a, a lady by the name of Debbie Pearl. And then her husband later, a few years ago, wrote a book called Created to Need a Help Me. It basically talked about um, the differences between men and women, how we complement each other, and how in large part, not everyone, because as we already discussed, some people will stay single, but in large part – Like Apostle Paul. <laughs> but in large part, men need women. Women need men. And so God created us to live together in the covenant of marriage, and he made us for each other. Um, and so uh, that's what these books were addressing. And some people, once again, took a lot of the teaching in them and ran, with to, it. and ran with it and said, let's do this exactly this way. And then they decided later that it was oppressive, that it was oppressive to women, that it shortchanged women. And I'm not going to say that I agree 100% with everything that's in these books, but I was really encouraged by the book – created to need to help me. And I think in a lot of these cases, uh, it really comes down to discernment because if you have the, if you have the discernment to say the Bible is my standard, yep. I'm going to read this book with the idea that, uh, hopefully this guy knows or this person knows what the Bible says, but I'm going to weigh what they write against the Bible. That's one thing for me as a podcast host, as a preacher and as an author, my a big challenge that I issue to everyone is challenge me. If you think that I'm unbiblical in some way, challenge me in it because I don't want you to come away from this show or anything that Speaking for Him does and say, Speaking for Him said this, so that makes it true. No, no that's not what makes it true. The Bi- If the Bible says it, that's what makes it true. And, and to be fair, uh, a lot of these books, even though I have not read them, sound explicitly like they're written off of other people's experiences and, you know, this is the way they see the world. This is how they've experienced. And so they have an opinion bias. And if you look at it as this is all dry fact and don't remember that there's an opinion bias here from their experience, you can really hurt yourself. Oh, that, and that's really the main point of what I'm trying to say is let's get that back to the Bible. So for this point, let's read Genesis two eighteen to 24. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helpmate for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, it was named thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmate for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, when they shall be of one flesh." Genesis two eighteen through 24. And there you have it in black and white, God's plan for the furtherance of the human race, God's plan for a companion for Adam, 
uh, it we read in here that he named every beast of the field, but after he named all the beasts of the field, there was no helper suitable for him. So God created woman from the man. Now, if you sit back and you think about that, that's actually an amazing thing that God created women from the man to be his companion. But a lot of times when people start preaching along those lines, people get offended. Because of feminism. Because they, well, because they think that, they think that it means they're lesser. But the, the reality here is that they are actually, I, I think about it in these terms. I feel like they are the crown jewel of all creation because creation wasn't complete until the woman was created. Yep. Because God said it's not good for a man to be alone. No. And this is not, it's not a bad thing to realize that you need help. I, I think it's, it's, it was interesting. Um, one year ago, Christmas time, I always struggled around the holidays. That, that's my hardest time being single because I, you know, I still feel like God didn't create me to be single, but I've ran into various challenges. I'm sure some of them related to my disability in the area of relationships. So every holidays when, when we get together and my brothers have their spouses over and everything, you know, it can be really hard. Um, but a year ago in December, I heard two different speakers point out the fact that, you know, telling someone that they should feel just complete in God, uh, well, it's well intentioned and while there's some truth to it, in some ways it can be borderline sacrilegious because Adam was incomplete without his wife before he even sinned. He was a perfect man. He had perfect fellowship with God and yet God said he's still incomplete. He still needs female companionship. And so that was really encouraging to me. And I just think that, um, again, with this idea, I think it's important for us to get back to basics and realize that when God gave the woman to the man as a helper, it wasn't something in subservience. It wasn't that she's not equal to him. It's that she has different roles. And now we have a culture where women are trying to do everything a man can do instead of I, I, I think I've I've seen that meme with this quote, this basic quote, which is really good, which is they try to do everything a man can do instead of realizing all the unique things they can do that we could never do. And, and <laughs> there's, re- there's some that are very and, obvious. And rejoicing in that. And I think part of that, um, I think that is part of what has led to the gender confusion that yes. we see in our society today. Because once once you take away the specialness and the uniqueness of each gender, then where is my specialness? Where is my uniqueness? How do I find my identity? Um, and God, and the Bible says God made them male and female. So we just need to be aware of that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's that ultra conservative uh, man thing. This is women belong in the kitchen. That's all they should be. And then there's the feminist thing that says men are, you know, lesser or whatever. And both of them are wrong. Really? Guys are made to do a lot of work, a lot of it physical work. And women are made to, you know, be able to do a lot of different things, really. Mm-hmm. Think of all the things that women can do. They, they're, you know, the homemakers, they raise children, they work, you know, they do jobs. A lot of women make better teachers than men. 
That's true. By percentages anyways. And there's a lot of women in the nursing fields. And, you know, I, I, I have for one have been thankful for the nurturing that I have gotten when I've been in the hospital from female nurses. I do struggle with this because I, you know, I, I do tend to believe that when a woman has children, she, she should primarily be at home with them because I do think it's tough to do two jobs. Yes. The job of a mother and the job of a, of a, of working for a company. And one of them is going to suffer. And my question to the women out there is, which one would you rather suffer? Your children or your, uh, you know, employer? And, you know, that's a decision that you have to make personally. I can't make it for you, but that's just something that is, has been heavy on my heart for years. And I'm thankful that I work at a place like the Potter's House, which has allowed women to work part time. We've had, you know, at least a couple situations that I know of where women have shared classrooms and both worked part time in the classroom so that they can spend the other part of their time home with their kids, which I think is an excellent thing rather than losing them all together. Well, yeah. And from, from my experience with my family, my, um, my aunt, my mom's eldest sister, decided to stop working to raise her kids. Where my mom and her middle sister both worked. But um, her middle sister is a nurse and still is a nurse. And that means she only works a limited time over the week and has you know mandated downtime to stay at home. Whereas my mom was a teacher. So she was at school when us kids were at school. Well, that was probably helpful to her, maybe not quite so helpful to you. <laughs> well, yeah, because mom had to grade uh, things after supper for a little while. But, you know, it was a thing growing up. No, I mean, was it intimidating having your mom teach at your school? Did she ever teach your classes? No, never. Uh, we actually had to move because of my dad's job before she could have taught because she was teaching the second grade. And you and we moved at yet. first grade. Okay. I was in first grade. So, so you didn't have that. Did have clash that. of well, and they experience. went to put me in her classroom anyways. But they did put me in my great aunt's classroom when I was in kindergarten. Okay. They actually moved me from a different class into my great aunt's classroom. I'm not sure if they realized we were related. <laughs> that is interesting. Okay, another thing I've I've read a lot about in the blog sphere is patriarchy and some very negative things about patriarchy, and basically. Uh, for a layman's definition of patriarchy, it means that God has placed men in leadership over women, primarily in the family and in the church. Um, but I also think in basically every walk of life, God has a blueprint for male leadership. Now, that doesn't mean domineering. No. It doesn't mean my way or the highway. And I think part of what happens is when people get on uh, – kicks about patriarchy they tend to uh they tend we tend to be people of extremes demonize so we either say absolutely not to it kind of like what you were talking about earlier with the feminism yes or we say because we believe in patriarchy then i as the head of the home or whoever is the head of the home their word goes and it and it doesn't matter what the woman thinks and there's plenty of cultures that have that belief. Yes. But 
Um, in a pro- proper household, man might have the final say, but it's wise if he listens to his wife. Oh, absolutely, and and that and that's the thing. It do- but it doesn't mean that patriarchy is bad. No, um, I think I go back to what I said earlier that I really believe that God has given women a place of honor and given men a great responsibility to protect the women in their lives. And again, that's not something. Uh, that people like to talk about, but I find it interesting how, um, people talk about how men need to treat women properly, you know, with all the Me Too stuff that's coming out. And I totally agree yeah. that men need to not be jerks or pigs. But they don't but, mention but the then, other way around. But then at the same time, they don't want to be protected. They get offended if you open the door for them, or in my case, sometimes I will wait to what, um, and and allow women to go through a doorway before me just because I feel like that's the proper thing to do. I don't understand and why people get offended sometimes, by courtesy. Sometimes they look at you strangely and even things like when I say sir or ma'am, you know, I was raised to call people sir or ma'am. And so I – so that's basically if I don't know you especially, I say yes, sir or no ma'am. And sometimes people say, well, you don't have to call me sir. And I remember one time I said to a guy – who said that? I said, yes, I do. My mom and dad told me I had to because that's, <laughs> because that's the way they raised me. It's just yes. – it's common courtesy and like you said, it can be kind of surprising how much common courtesy is offensive and yet people scratch their heads and wonder why we're in chaos today as a society. Yeah. Well, to be fair, uh, people some – I'm sure people sometimes look at you funny when you wait to let women go first because they're always used to letting the persons who are uh, – disabled in some manner or have difficulty moving, get out first before the more able body people well, do. Well, there is an aspect of that. Obviously, if they're holding the door for me, I'm not going to expect them to go first. That would be really <laughs> weird. And kind of rude. Because they need to hold the door so that I can get out. But yes. in cases where the door is already open is what I was mainly referring to. Yep. You and, know. You know. And sometimes I rush to get out the door and I don't even realize what I did and I think, well, maybe that wasn't the the <laughs> most uh, polite thing that I could have done, but anyway. And, yeah. And I realize that this this for people like you who are raised to say yes sir and yes ma'am can be very polite to people they don't know. Uh modern day, you know, people kind of seem to have categorized saying sir and ma'am to people who are raised in military families, you know, because yeah. the military is very big on that. And so a lot of people go with more of the diminutive of like, uh, hey, miss, are you all right? You know, miss or mister or something similar. And of course, and then there's the super casual people who are like, hey, dude, what's up? So could you read for us <laughs> the verse under the heading of patriarchy? Yes. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and that the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. For the man is not of the woman. But the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. First Corinthians three eight through nine. Uh it's First Corinthians uh eleven three eight and nine. I'm sorry, oh. I, I wrote that wrong. But uh, <laughs> I was wondering about that. <laughs> yes, but the, uh, the the impetus or the 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 goal or the thing that Paul is saying here is to remember. That the head of every man is Christ. I think this is a key that gets left out because yes. when when you get into the discussions about the patriarchy, people that are wholeheartedly against it, they don't think that the man 
has any checks and balances or responsibilities. But if you take it biblically and you say, well, actually, if I am over a woman in my family, if I'm protecting my wife, taking care of my wife, guess what? My head is Christ. I'm accountable to him directly for how I, how I treat my children, how I, how I care for my wife. And so it's very important to keep that in perspective. And then, um, it goes through the order. The head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. And then it gives two reasons why the man is given headship. And it says, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So again, we see that we see it go back to the created order. Yes. Uh, the, the woman was created because the man was not complete in and of himself. And I, I wish more women could grasp this to think about the fact that they were created because men, without you ladies, we would be lost. I mean, that's, that's just the truth. Um, without my mom, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish most of what I've done in my life. And she was actually the one that led me to the throne of grace when I was five years old and, and was there when I made my personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And she actually had the opportunity to influence up to 11 different families because she made the decision to stay home and raise her children and to homeschool them. So my mom just didn't have time to have an outside job, but no. she was nonetheless extremely influential in my in my life and in the life of my siblings. I wouldn't have this podcast if it wasn't for my mom. So yeah, that reminds me of for this these these two topics of patriarchy and putting man above God. There's a very old cliche. I think is very appropriate. Behind every great man is a good woman. Yeah, and and we tend to we tend to stay away from cliches because well they're cliche. Yes. But but there's a lot of truth to it because if you look at a lot of the great men in history, you'll find that that their wives had a had a really powerful influence in their lives. They're usually their number one advisor. Yes, and they and I I've heard I've heard Alistair Begg say he's a Scottish preacher. He says every preacher should have a wife because they need to have someone who will bring them uh, back down to earth and make <laughs> sure that they know they're not all that great. <laughs> so that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so that's an important thing to think about, and then. As Dan alluded to, our last thing to talk about is putting man above God. Could you read the verse? Indeed. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up upright on thy feet. And he leapt and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lysonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men, and they are called Barnabas, and they called Barnabas Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garland unto the gates, and they would have done sacrifice to the people, which, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, They rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye do these things? We are also men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn away from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. 
who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Acts 14, 8 through 17. So you kind of started talking on this topic, so I wonder, do you have any anything else to say about how we tend to get to the point of putting men above God? Yes. Um, going a little bit back to your patriarchy moment, people who dislike patriarchy very vocally and with great fire and passion tend to – on a whole, I suppose I, this is a generality, so I'm really kind of leery about speaking generalities too much. But they tend to put man above God if they even acknowledge God in the first place, you know. And this is a failing of humanity, which we have seen throughout the ages, and the Bible has plenty of examples of. But we tend, and I think it comes from our tendency to look at the immediate, you know, because we can't see God with our eyes or hear him with our ears or speak to him face to face or feel him, you know, because we can't experience him in the world of now, we tend to forget he's there and therefore put ourselves above him. And this of course causes problems, which we then do not acknowledge because we're humans and we tend to do that thing. <laughs> well, and in the passage that I just read, you know, uh, Paul, heals a lame man and uh -huh. the natural response of these pagan people is to think that they are the gods that they have been worshiping and so yes. their response is to begin to worship them and then Paul brings them back to earth and says, no, I, I'm not a god. I am a person. I'm just a regular guy. I'm just like you except that I've been redeemed and this is, this is how you can be redeemed as well. And I think – that is probably the reason I put it last is because I think this is key to the whole, uh, the whole discussion actually. In every one of these issues, people have written exhaustively on each one. And if you decide to make them your standard rather than God, that's where the trouble begins. Oh, of course. Um, because it begins for you because they're not God and it begins for them in some ways because it can be, it can be a temptation to get a big head when people start following the things that you say or the things that you write. Incidentally, oh, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I named my ministry Speaking for Him and not Andrew Gomison Ministries. Way back in the beginning, um, when a friend was helping me build my website, he's like, well, do you want it to be andrewgomisonministries.com or um, something else? And I knew right away that I wanted it to be Speaking for Him because I don't want it to be about me. Uh, in some ways, it's going to be about me because it's the ministry that God has given me. But I want it to be primarily about Him. Yes. Well, and you know that's that's a great thing that you realize that right away because a lot of people don't. But then on the other hand, a lot of people also have their na ministries named for them by people because they haven't thought up of a name themselves. Well, it, it is true as well because I remember. Uh, there's a there's a radio show that I like to listen to called the Wally Show and and they they sometimes joke about how his name is on the show and so everything goes his way but in reality he didn't want it to be named that somebody else came up with that and said that should be the name that's the way we're and it. he actually has taken pay cuts to keep the people that work with him on the show on the show so it's been very you know the joke is that he is this 
all powerful, you know, in control guy, but he really isn't like that in real life. And so, but so that is true that just because it's named for someone doesn't mean that it's a bad ministry. It's just a step that I wanted to take from the very beginning to make sure that my focus was correct. Oh yeah. And like I said, in any one of these topics that we discussed tonight, if you put man over God, you can start to to think that what they wrote is is true because they wrote it and not because you ser- searched the Bible to see if it was true. Paul commended the Bereans because when he told them spiritual truths, they searched the scriptures, which in that time, in that day meant the Old Testament. They searched the Old Testament to confirm the things that Paul was telling them. Oh, yeah. You know, so and what they don't very, tell you is that it was a hard getting anything out of the, beyond the Torah. So they had to go searching for it physically first. Yeah. So it's very important for us to realize that we need to do that ourselves and weigh people's teaching against the word of God. And whatever teaching doesn't uh, stand up to the word of God, throw it out. Yep. Um, but we also need to fight on the other extreme because remember we said we're people of extremes. We need to fight on the other extreme the tendency to say, well, this teaching made me uncomfortable, therefore – I'm not going to listen to it because <laughs> yes. that can be a tendency as well. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of uh, – it reminds me of this uh, short comic strip that I ran in uh, uh, Christianity Today magazine, the CRC magazine. Okay. Uh, I think I got the title right. I've, it's been a long time. I was like 11 or 12 when I saw this. But it was the pastor who had just gotten done giving his sermon and he's at the end of back of church shaking people's hands like a lot of the CRC churches do. And uh, this old couple comes up to him and says, I was a fine sermon pastor, but when are we going to get some meat? We're sick of this bread and milk. <laughs> you know, there as there it was commenting on the tendency of uh, pastors to just stick with the introductory sort oh, of thing that yeah, that's not absolutely. very – that's comfortable. And not the meat of the issue, which when you face it, it's not comfortable, nor should it be, because this is talking about truths, truths that are directly applicable to you. And you shouldn't be comfortable with them because otherwise you're not paying attention. Oh, absolutely. We need to be growing. Um, You know, we've talked on the podcast in the past about how uh, and we can mention it again here that suffering is a part of the Christian life. Yes. Um, it's not uh, all about getting on, uh, this rose colored or this, this, uh, flower covered path with no rough spots. No, um, it's a treacherous mountain. As path. a matter of fact, the Bible says the road to hell is wide. Paved. Um, and many people will choose that way, but the way to life is narrow and few will be, few, few there will be that will find it. Yes. So I hope that this, uh, podcast, while not exhaustive, has given you a lot to think about and to process as you pursue God with your own uh, Christian journey. Remember that uh, Dan and I are not two people that have it all together, but we know, oh, no. but, we, but we know <laughs> the one that has it all together, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here doing what we do every week. Yep, we're we're just a couple of regular guys who might be able to give you a nice primer. So that's, you know, so our goal is that you would be able to, after listening to this, have a great weekend. And as always, keep serving the best of masters.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 